I remember being in Chicago and walking around, you know, feeling, wow, I'm a black person. I'm a, I have African descent. Like my whole life I was told, oh, you're not this enough or this enough or this enough or, you know, there's a lot of that bullshit. And, you know, I, it's an identity. It's like, a, it's a way of being. And so I was like, how the fuck do I walk this knowing this now that these are my ancestors? I have ancestors here. How do I honor them? How do I honor who I am in my blood? And also how do I activate my DNA code and my epigenetics to express in a way that feels free and that feels at peace with who I am. healing collective podcast this is a space for but never limited to people of color for discussing sacred plant medicine pregnancy parenthood and more you know there's such a stigma on who can open the floor for conversation on these topics that are viewed as taboo or even inappropriate this fact alone has made so many become fearful of the very thing that could help us rebuild families create our own businesses and most importantly trust our role in this world as future ancestors So wherever you are, take a cleansing breath and do your best to listen with an open mind, heart, and spirit, and let love lead the way. I'm your host, Taylor. All right, welcome to another episode of the Tailored Healing Collective Podcast. I'm here today with Michaela, and I'll allow her to introduce herself a little bit and talk about the work that she does. It's an introduction that I don't feel that I can give all the honor that it deserves, so I'm going to let her introduce herself. Michaela, thank you so much, Taylor. I'm so honored to be here with you, a beautiful baby. Um, my name is Michaela. I go by Michaela Delamico, and Delamico means of the mushroom. So pretty much Michaela of the mushroom these days, because I wouldn't be who I am without the mushroom. Um, my platform is Mama Delamico, and so that name kind of developed out of yeah my quest like into motherhood and. Um, how entheogens and the earth medicines have really been a foundational um, space for me to be in as I'm not just mothering like my son, but like mothering myself and mothering my whole life and rooting myself on when other people weren't and reparenting and all these great, amazing aspects and elements of this mother principle of the universe. And I, I'm currently living here in San Diego, which is occupied Kumeyaay, Luis Sueño, Kawea territory. There are many other tribes of which the names I do not know. And so to them, I also give my honor and respect for allowing me to be here. I also um, was born and raised in Los Angeles. And so 
that's Tongva territory and Keech territory. And I'm really grateful to also have been born and raised in an environment that was at least tertiary to a lot of black and brown people and art and creativity. And honestly, like the grunge of living in the city. And I was born in a suburb that um, was not inclusive enough. And so I was feeling very like isolated and different and not just the way that I looked, but the way that I thought. And um, suburbia is a very spiritually stifling place. And so I kind of clawed myself like tooth and nail out of Christian school and Catholic school, finally getting expelled from Catholic school in the eighth grade um, because of my drug use and because I was dealing with serious trauma and I was like trying to escape with opiates. So I was addicted to opiates at age 13 and I have had such a really interesting journey and adventure um, to becoming who I am today. But I'm really grateful that, wow, I found entheogens as a 20-year-old and have never really looked back. I look at my life pre-psychedelics and post. And so um, for anyone in the audience that hasn't had experience with entheogens, this is certainly a story that is still unraveling and this is not one to say that I took mushrooms one time and my life was just better <laughs> and that's all it takes, mm -hmm. you know, that this is an ongoing integration practice and years long of relationship and not just consumption, which I know that you definitely have relationship with sacred earth medicines too. And you know that that is being relational and being a friend to these medicines as much as they are friends to us and not just being friends with medicine, but also being a friend to our own body as they experience the medicine. And so a lot of my journey with entheogens has also led me into womb work, womb care, um, becoming a lay, you know, um, womb care practitioner, um, unlicensed, unrestricted, unapologetically um, an advocate for, for this portal that we have. So I'm here to serve in this intersection of entheogens and womb care and the continuum that relates to all things in this world concerning those things. So thank you for allowing me to be here. And I want to give honor and praise to my ancestors for also allowing me to be here as well. Of course. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, ever since I found your page, I want to say it was in my first pregnancy, actually, when I first started following your um, your page and automatically I could see you were a conduit for transformation for not only yourself, but so many people around you. And Instagram is such a place where people come to be something, but you're not being it. You just are it. You embody so many different of these modalities. And I, I'm curious. So how did you step into who Mama De Ramito is? Did that, how did that come to you? So I, um, I'm a woman of like many names. So I had a few names like coming into my practice, my life and my persona like online. And it kind of started with like AIM. <laughs> I don't know if y'all remember uh, AOL Instant yes. Messenger. <laughs> Back in the but, day. Yeah, I think that was like the first time I ever had like an internet persona, right? Like I could create like a username and like have a whole thing. And so that was like always changing. And so it's actually like through naming 
that I feel like my being evolves. It's like when you name yourself, then like you can kind of evolve into the possibility of what that person is. And so um, up until probably 2019, I was pregnant with my son and I was still kind of like going through my pregnancy journey and was documenting it. And I thought I would be real cute and like, you know, I was doing a lot of birth art and I've always been a creative. And so my platform was cool. It was like at maybe like a thousand and change of like mostly like my close friends and people who actually cared about me. And um, I kind of hit this like realization that so much of my platform was to serve a particular aim and it was to serve like a narcissism and it was to serve like my own feeling about myself and to be kind of this like feedback loop for dopamine and a feedback loop for like I'm posting like a selfie a picture of myself and like I hope people like it and like my esteem is going to be you know generated by the response that people have and so the feedback loop I was like operating in the feedback loop in a weird way and so I decided when Martin was like six months old or a year old actually it actually been a whole year that I wanted to take a break that I was going to stop using IG because I really wanted to sit with Aya Madre for the second time Madre Ayahuasca for those of you who don't know Madre or Aya but um, I told myself that I was going to take a fast from social media. I deleted my Facebook and then I stopped IG for like uh, a couple of months, say maybe like two or three months. The only thing was, was that I was running a business and the IG was like so primary in our ability to like do outreach for a lot of people who don't have a ton of resources IG and social media can be a marketing tool for small businesses. And so I told myself, okay, I'm going to close off the personal IG, but I want to run it for my business. So it's interesting because I actually like learned how to be like a company on Instagram. And I learned how to like not be me, but to be something bigger than me, which was like the vision of what we were doing with Goddess Breath, like herbal mm. smoke blends getting away from big tobacco, like nourishing your body with earth and plants and all that good stuff. So I was like, wow, I actually get to remove myself for a second and serve an idea, serve something much bigger. And so when I like got practice doing that, it felt so much better to be there because I was like, it's not about like me and what I look like. It's about the idea that we're serving. And that felt like a much better use of the platform. So all this to say that became six to 10 months of like training and learning how to speak from a space that's not to serve myself, but to serve a bigger collective and a bigger idea. And so once I actually let my, my personal self bleed too much into the business, that became a kind of an issue was like, fuck you know, excuse me for cussing in front of your child, but, um, you know, I'm inserting too much of my own personal beliefs into the business Instagram. I think maybe now it's time to return because I have these skills and now I actually have something really important that I want to talk about, which is how entheogens have been instrumental in me being a decent parent. 
and being a good person in my body and being a good person on the earth and all the skills that I'd gained and developed by like running the little business account and all the classes that I took to learn how to do that properly. I then now transitioned it to, okay, Mama de la Mico, that name had already been there, but now like it's real idea, it's real full form was going to start to take place. And now this became this really important message and idea. And I got invited to come and host a clubhouse room um, by my homie Ankara who runs Cypher Sessions on Clubhouse. And I didn't know anything about Clubhouse and it was something everyone's getting invited to. And yeah, come speak on Clubhouse, come join or whatever, here's an invite. So I got into Clubhouse and they were like, you could just make rooms about whatever. And I'm like, hey, you know what people aren't talking a lot about? Plant medicine and parenting, you know? And like, Mm. especially mothers, especially mothers in the space and not just psilocybin, but cannabis and madre ayahuasca. So, and womb care. So I, I built Mushroom Temple uh, last April. And honestly, at about the same time, they both really fed each other in a good way. And the message became really clear that this was a need in the community tremendously, that the need in the community was we need more education, we need more research, and we need a safe place for us to come learn, connect, discuss, and share ideas. And so I think Clubhouse was also very instrumental in helping me develop what became important to talk to the public about. And what became important to talk to the public about became what is very forward-facing on like the Mama Della Nico platform. And that's how it really like got birthed was through like collaboration and like learning certain skills and then trial and error implementing. And honestly, people like you that are, that, that are pouring themselves as I pour myself, you know what I mean? Like that you share, (laughs) you share, you like, you comment, you like do all of this reciprocity for all the things that I give to you in reciprocity. And so I'm really grateful for like the kind of community it's created because now, you know, the platform has allowed me to be on the local news and all these incredible places. And not just because of, oh, just me who I am, but what the message is. And that's ultimately the most important thing, like conduit for the message. And so, um, Mama Delamica was born out of trying to leverage social media as a conduit for an important message, which is to re-anchor the relationship between motherhood and entheogens in like a really strong, clear way. And we've been able to do that. So thank you for allowing me to express that and um, for the audience to be able to allow me to be me and allow me to speak about these things that are kind of scary. Of course, and first I wanna say, I celebrate you in this space for who you are and what you have done for this community because it gave me the courage to tell my story because I did not see anyone telling the stories after I had my first experience during my second pregnancy. I had spoken on a podcast or two before about cannabis use, but never about mushrooms. 
mm. and an entheogenic work in general. Um, I had used for a few years before and I utilized them to help me heal, but never had I thought in pregnancy that I would speak about it. So coming upon your work, it was life-changing for me. And it also lit up this fire that we do need to be having these conversations because there are many people, especially women of color who I've encountered, who they know nothing about it. And the first thing that comes to mind is judgment. And Mm -hmm. I want so much to tell people how it can heal them, but that's not a conversation you can just like go straight into. So the content that you're providing is not just, beautiful to see it's also educational so it can take them from having these first thoughts in their head about what it offers and what it is and then Mm -hmm. you provide it in such a way that connects with who we are as women in general Mm -hmm. identifying women and I think that's so important right now in this particular time especially with everything Mm -hmm. going on and especially that you found a way to utilize social media because we all know how it works and Mm -hmm. it can take control of you, but you took control of it. So I I really enjoy Mm -hmm. that about your content. So there's a lot of questions I have for you, but one of the first ones I wanted to ask you is culturally your background. How did that impact Mm -hmm. you getting into entheogenic work or just herbalism and plant medicine work in the first place? Yeah. Thank you so much for asking about my ancestry because it's been a guiding light and really pivotal and also recognizing like where I was born and like the kind of society that I was born into does not necessarily like make me. And um, it's like my ancestors made me and I'm just living in this weird world right now. Um, And so, yeah, to answer your question, you know, the way that my ancestors have like influenced how I've arrived and like sit with plant medicine as an earth medicine too is honestly as recognizing that my ancestors likely took entheogens. I'm not the first, (laughs) I'm not the first person in my whole bloodline to like ever come in contact with the mushroom. And that is for sure. And I actually think that gives me like a deep sense of like peace and a deep sense of, yeah, obviously, because as soon as I ate the mushroom, it was like, welcome home, baby. Like, can we give you a big old hug? Because, you know, it's like she's been looking for me as much as I've been looking for her. And um, that doesn't come easily, that knowing of your ancestry. And I think a lot of, honestly, like BIPOC people, there's so many gaps in the line, you know, like, where do I come from? And like, what tribe am I from? And who were the people before the enslavement? And what were they up to and doing? And so, um, I know a good deal about my ancestry now, which me seven years ago did not know when I first started the mushroom journey. And I actually think that that's part of integration is sitting with the curiosity of your ancestry and letting the mushroom kind of guide you to the breadcrumbs. And so I know my mother, she comes from Southern Italy and they're all folk like they're focus folk so they're like land living um, subsistence living they only you know harvest what they need they do light agriculture they do some animal husbandry there um real small town like 2,000 people cobblestone street energy like green rolling hills energy vineyards you know drinking the wine they made 
taking the olive oil they made. So it's it's cool to come from that because I think that's like a place that a lot of people want to get back to is actually having agency in what we call like the means of production is like the things that I make are the things that I take and the things that I create are the things that sustain me and my community. I love and that. so <laughs> that is, that's rare these days. And so, you know, there's been quite a lot of like, overlap in her community now is like modernity is set in but you know she was born at home because there's literally no hospital in her whole town so it's like they were just like that 50 years ago and so I come from that that's my mama and then my papa my dad is Afro-Caribbean um on his father's side and then a detribalized indigenous woman named Guadalupe gave birth to him and so when I say detribalized, it's an indigenous woman came into the hospital and gave birth. And then she was taken away from her mom and then her mom was sent away and then she was adopted out to somebody. And this actually, we don't, we didn't actually know she was an indigenous woman for a while, but we knew this story. And what's interesting is that that story is incredibly common among indigenous people is that indigenous person goes into the hospital or is in some kind of organized system for birthing and then the child is removed from the family or the child is removed shortly after the birth or maybe young and adopted out to Europeans so that happened in the 60s scoop that happened yeah all throughout the like early 1900s and honestly into the modern day the um well um the child, um, you know, CPS and um, foster care are very much complicit in this kind of work. So we knew that story. And so we could kind of trace it. Okay, she's living in Texas on the border of Rio Grande. We know she's Mexican. And, but what kind of Mexican is she? Not quite sure. Thankfully, my cousin was working for Ancestry.com um, as a personal assistant to like one of the CEOs. And so she actually got gifted these DNA tests. Now, I personally don't really want to mess with those with myself because that's a whole lot of data. But yeah. my auntie herself and a lot of my family members decided that they were that curious, that they wanted to see what the data would show them. And alas, 25% indigenous Mexican. So like that just tells us like that's Grandma Lupe, that's where she was coming from and a specific part of Mexico called Durango. And so um, that was a great like, wow, okay, we have some kind of a trace of the blood for her. And then what we also discovered was that there is a lot of blood that's similar to what we have on the West Coast of Africa, which, you know, we could kind of make assumptions about because of Afro-Caribbean, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, these places were very rife um, with the reception of enslaved Africans. And so we knew if we're from the Caribbean and we're black, like there's a good chance that we might've also originated in Africa and came over during the transatlantic slave trade. So knowing some of this cultural history was very helpful in kind of guiding me. And I remember being in Chicago and walking around, you know, feeling, wow, I'm a black person. I'm a, I have African descent. 
like my whole life I was told, oh, you're not this enough or this enough or this enough or, you know, there's a lot of that bullshit. And, you know, I, it's an identity. It's like, it's a way of being. And so I was like, how the fuck do I walk this knowing this now that these are my ancestors? I have ancestors here. How do I honor them? How do I honor who I am in my blood? And also how do I activate my DNA code and my epigenetics to express in a way that feels free and that feels at peace with who I am. And um, I walked into an African shop, my friend took me and there was a djembe that was like 20 bucks and I could afford that at the time. And I told the brother who was there, who's also Caribbean was playing this incredible music. And I was like, yo, this sounds weird, but here's my story. And I kind of don't know what to do with this what do you think? And, you know, this is an artist, this is a curator of like African wares and wares of like the African diaspora. And like this dude is coming through all kinds of art and had the masks and the (laughs) drums. And I was like, yo, you're probably the griot. You're the storyteller. You're the artist I need to, I need to consult with. Would you share your energy with me for a moment? I'm coming as a child that I am just learning where I come from and who I am. And he said, you know, dig into the expression of the people get in the music get in the dance start to embody and I love that he told Mm. me to learn to embody and to not intellectualize this discussion this is not an intellectual pursuit this isn't thinking like an African person this is like feel the life feel the expression of soul and spirit and so I bought that drum and then I went to my friend's house and I ate three grams of mushrooms And the whole night I spent holding the drum and connecting with the drum. And the the way djembes are made, it's like a single piece of uh, like a trunk of a tree, specific kind of wood sometimes. And they'll carve into the trunk of the tree. So like what you're seeing in the shape is actually the whole trunk that then they make kind of look like a curved, you know, a curved like hourglass shape. But the inside has been all like carved out. And I noticed that on this particular drum that the carve out was super rough. So on some djembe's, they're very soft. They're very smooth inside because there's been time taken. It's been sanded. There's been a lot of love put into this drum. This drum was made so fast. Like they just kind of rushed through it. And then there was all kinds of frayed wood pieces all, and it was real sharp. And so on the mushroom, I took coconut oil And I rubbed like with my hand and softened and smoothed. And I spent time like in the womb of the drum and cried (laughs) while I was doing it. And like put my hands where the hands of the people who made this drum would have been. And that was a profound like way of being respectful and a profound way of like how my body wanted to honor myself and the drum in that time. And I think that actually really anchored and connected me into like, I can participate in my blood and how do I do that by embodying very much. And the mushroom was an empowered, it was like the glue, right? Like the activator of my heart and the activator of the openness that my neurons needed, not just in my brain, but in my gut, in my heart, there's neurons in your heart, by the way, there's neurons on your gut right? There's no transmitters all through your body. And so when you activate in an embodied way, you can actually turn on a whole rewiring system that is now communicating in a brand new way. And the mushrooms help you with embodiment in this way. And so, you know, doing that 
was so, I realized, wow, this is how I can get in contact with my ancestors is doing embodiment work with the mushroom. And so on the Mexican side of my family, there's a very different tradition for like sitting with mushrooms in this Mexica way and in the ceremonies of the Azteca and the Mazatec and the Nahuas and the Maya that I knew that this is also blood within my bones. So I found a teacher and I found someone who is a curandera who is holding sacred mushroom ritual. And so I got to sit in some of those and see the cultural context for imbibing in the medicine and learning the songs and activating the gene codes within me that remember Nahuatl and Spanish and sitting by the fire and praying and being with the stars and the star nations and sleeping outside with the mushroom. Right now, the mushroom is doing a cool thing. It's like moving into this medical space and like you're one-on-one with a practitioner and like you're on this comfy couch that's got like a nice painting of watercolor flowers on the wall and like... (laughs) That's one way, right? right? But then there's this other, there's many other ways. And one of those ways was sitting in a group at night with a fire singing songs. And that didn't just feel comfortable for like my Mexican ancestry and me, but also like probably the wild European that gathered under the moonlight and sat by a sacred fire. And also likely my African ancestors who gathered around fire and danced at night. So it was like actually kind of a great unifier. And so, you know, finding culturally competent space within entheogens is important for any person. This is just my way that I've been able to like tap into my ancestors through mushroom. But that's going to look different for everyone. I have pagan sisters that, yeah, they do circles and they wear white and they like worship these certain gods and they do so on the mushroom. And those European ancestors would have done it in that way. And, you know, people of all over the earth, because mushrooms are ubiquitous, they approach the mushroom in their own special and culturally competent way. And so I always ask people to like follow the breadcrumb and ask how would my ancestors have gathered with spirit in this sacred way? It can be with the mushrooms or without them. It can just be with you and spirit, but like try to get down to the rudimentary basics and then that will start to activate your remembering. And so, you know, my ancestry, my blood through somatic like expression kind of led me not to these spaces, but like, while I was on the mushroom, the comfort level that I felt in certain places, where I felt safe, where I felt seen, and the people around me looked like me, mm-hmm. that was how I created like a culturally competent like mushroom experience for myself was, yeah, I journeyed with white hippies before. Trust me, like I've been to Venice Beach, like done a bunch of mushrooms <laughs> and walked the boardwalk and like right. went to the skate park and like did all that. And I felt sick and I felt nervous and I felt anxious so I just listened to like where my body was like "Mm, this isn't it like this doesn't feel right and then okay we're gonna journey inside and listen to like Pink Floyd Uh, like this is cool but I'm still super nauseous and then I go and like we eat a small meal together before and we do a land offering and then we set a sacred fire and then there's copal and they're singing and I'm like 
oh, finally, like, this is my kind of party. You felt at home. (laughs) Finally. It sounds like you felt at home. Yeah. I think the mushrooms help people feel at home, but I think as the, the more you work with them as an individual and not like be quote unquote guided, you start to guide yourself into like what spaces and places feel at home. People can sit within theogens and then meet psychedelic community and not feel at home. And it's like also kind of a wandering to find your psychedelic people. I love to hear you talk about embodying it because I feel like it's gotten very clinical in conversation lately about how we're supposed to feel and the things that we take in when we choose to utilize entheogens in a way that helps us connect. And I'm not sure if you knew it was going to happen before it happened or it wasn't until you sat with the drum um, in the group setting that you were in that you felt that. But for people who don't know or people who call themselves novice to having these kinds of experiences, having that cultural connection, I think is very important. And especially for people who are removed from it, because there are a lot of people, at least in the United States, who do not know their cultural background. So Mm. if we are like, I too have journeyed with white hippies before, and the experience (laughs) is completely different. It's not, Mm. it doesn't feel wrong. It just feels different. And the connection that I've had with myself, like the things that I've tapped into, I did not know were there. The Mm. ancestors that I had that I've never heard about in my family before were around me. So I'm like, okay, you guys have been here the whole time, but I didn't know you were. So to hear that, that part of your story, I think that's something I don't necessarily see you share all the time, Um, at least not (laughs) that much in depth. So thank you for bringing that to the conversation for sure, because though this is a space for everyone to listen, a lot of the new audience that I have are in the BIPOC community. And I think that they need to Mm -hmm. hear things like this because they're striving to connect, but, you know, with new age spirituality coming into play a lot, you know, people tell you, you need 10 crystals and you need to do all this kind of spell work. And while that is fine, there are still cultural connections that are there for them that can help them tap into their heart Mm -hmm. center. Like you were saying, it's such an emotional Mm -hmm. It's an emotional tool to work with. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I've been asked to speak on entheogens a lot. And it's wild to me that in like the two years that I've been really out and doing podcasting and lectures, that you're only the second Black podcaster I've ever spoken to about this. And it's showing me so much that... There's also so much re relearning that the BIPOC community has to undergo in order to really embrace and accept. And there's so many more stories. I mean, it's been like, yeah, microdosing mom, blah, blah, blah. But like now it's like black microdosing mom, blah, blah, blah. Like now people are yes. wanting to hear about black moms microdosing and like that being trendy. Like I'm pretty sure. I think like Essence Magazine is going to interview me now. And I was like, okay, like now the black folks are ready to talk about this. But I don't even want to like, it's frustrating that also the trope of the microdosing mom is like now that's what's getting articulated when mushrooms are ancestral to the African continent. And acacia and dmt and blue lotus and all of these other sacred earth medicines chamomile you know being a sacred earth medicine like we all have a rich 
ancient history in in Africa. And that is what's in, disappointing, I guess, is that like now the the black community is getting a cue from like the psychedelic like conversation mm-hmm. and is now like just emulating. And I'm like, no, like we have to remember more like deeply than that. And I done some like I love the research of Darren LeBaron. I don't know if you're familiar with Darren LeBaron, but if any of your listeners are interested in like African diasporic relationships and the, and the sacred mushroom or like any entheogens and like psychedelics in Africa, Darren LeBaron is that person. And also Baba Kalindi E, I think also dives into a lot of the cultural history and heritage and also just knowing wait black people take psychedelics wait hold on because i've been to conferences that are largely for bipoc people and the overwhelming majority of the 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 things that people say when they first started taking mushrooms as a black person was well i just thought it was white people thing that's like the Mm -hmm. first thing they always say oh i just thought it was white people thing and that is the legacy of the hippie revolution that's what has been left over as the cultural marker of entheogens in the united states and people have this incredible forgetting that nah it's actually your birthright you've actually been working with entheogens as a black person probably and we have to remember who we are and i've been kind of diving into my comedic you know naturu and the orisha and like the African pantheons and the Egyptian pantheons for many, many years. I got hieroglyphs all over me. And like, I've always been interested in the Menenece or like hieroglyph since I was maybe like six or seven years old. I got my first hieroglyph book and learned how to write my name in hieroglyph, like those old, like little cheesy books that you can get and learn your hieroglyph name or whatever. Um, So my interest has always been in that place because it's so fascinating the richness of the knowledge and of course also the ancient maya as well i mean like we're talking parallel cultures here and also parallel to atlantis as well but like, i'm not going to get on all that and like <laughs> moo and like maria and all that yes. ancient ancestry stuff but you know the we'll ancient have that ones, talk. the way you know the way back ones that like we are just figuring the blueprints out now so you know in ancient chem right there is Menenche, which is the hieroglyph system. There is a term for the underworld. That's the Amenta or the um, halls of Amenti. This is the underworld, the underworld where like your heart is weighed. It's basically kind of also a allegory, right? For like life on earth and like the ascension process and how ascension occurs after death. And the hieroglyph for Amenta or Amenti is the shape of a mushroom mm. and shit you not and so it's just like dude the the writing's on the wall literally so just remembering that part and you know there is such a stigma right now and that's cool because with people like you and I like we are very much bridge bridge building here and amazing organizations like the ancestor project that has really anchored in not just the education, but the ongoing integration care that's necessary to be culturally competent and to celebrate 
our DNA and who we are and the uniqueness of our experience. I think for a psychedelic integration coach that's coming out of a large organization, they're not going to actually have the historical awareness that the enslavement directly into North America, into the cotton fields of the South was a very different journey than the enslavement of Africans in the Caribbean and how the sugarcane plantations were fostered. And like, we are all black people. And yet those journeys are so uniquely different. The ancestors flavor being so completely different. And yet like, it can be seen as an umbrella. Oh, I'm a black person, but like the nuance isn't there. So I think within this space, there is such a need to call and activate the people that have knowledge of self that want to help other people in this space and be so culturally competent that it's like for every one person to sit, there's one very special person to sit for them. And sometimes that person is yourself because there's no one like you. And for the path of the mother, we don't always have the ability to pay for a therapist or a psychedelic professional. And at the same time, they're not going to do what we can do for ourselves sometimes. And so I really enjoyed this idea that you actually kind of also have all the mechanisms available to you in order to sit for yourself. And that's really my, my desire most is this radical self-reliance and the choice to be in community and the choice to seek out for help and that help being available when you want it, but to know that actually you are so fully equipped and that you can journey yourself and journey with your children and that you can make your own medicine and then have a very special relationship with these earth medicines that you don't need to outsource your healing. This is why you speak so much to my heart with the information you give, because it was on those first few journeys that I realized that I was the tool that I was looking for this entire time. And it was shocking, but almost like you, it's been inside of you this whole time. And it, this conversation that we're having now is almost parallel to the conversations I hear in America, specifically about Black people and finding therapists who look like them. So of course we want someone who shares our experiences because that'll help us navigate through what we're going through. If you sat with, for example, I'm guessing a psychedelic facilitator and they did not come from the same background as you, if something came up, if an ancestor showed up, how do they guide you through that? How can they help you? It's not that they're bad people or they could never understand, but there are certain aspects of it that they can't necessarily connect to just as I may not be able to connect to someone who's white, their ancestor. So mm -hmm. that, that importance and, and then realizing you are the tool, it kind of taps mm -hmm. into that ancestry of, you know, all of the people who took care of themselves and they healed their communities and they didn't need degrees or certificates because this ancient wisdom already lived inside of them. They knew where mm -hmm. to go. They knew how to share and be in community with each other. And that's something that I've seen that has been lost for so long now and is still really prevalent. So mm -hmm. to see you building up this community and this education and showing people of all color, but specifically to the BIPOC community of women that you got it. It's in you. You don't have to go looking anywhere else for it. So 
thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I have to keep thanking you. It, it's so important for these conversations to be had right now. I keep hearing the phrase psychedelic renaissance, psychedelic renaissance, and that's fine. But the, these are, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Boring. <laughs> Sorry. There's so much and more to, to it. That, and, to learn, and to use a term that was like coined in Europe about a European enlightenment to like co- to be a coverall for like the liberation movement, I just think is like, super like dripping with hubris and like self-importance and self-righteousness yes so I do want to speak a little about you being a mother and using entheogens because that's that's one of the main stories I know that you're known for right now um but again that's how I connected to you so I I would like the audience Mm -hmm. to hear a little Mm -hmm. bit about your experience yeah so um I was someone who had already had a relationship with entheogens and I'm not saying that it necessarily was a profound relationship that I also was not as adept as I am now, obviously in my craft, but I knew that it was a reliable place for me to have self-reflection and also a place for me to comfort myself on a variety of levels. So I knew that the mushroom was this special place for me to gain universal insight and that I could go to Honestly, I preferred being alone anyway. So I would just journey by myself often and dive into my own consciousness. And so I came into motherhood by accident and I had an unplanned pregnancy that I actually didn't really know my full options for, um, I guess the word would be you know, pregnancy termination. I didn't have my full options. And I know like, I didn't want to go and have a surgical abortion. Cause I thought that that was my, you know, I just didn't have a full grip and understanding for what was available to me. And so I tried kind of like all my methods for like how I could extract my menstruation and like encourage my menstruation to happen. And then it didn't. And so I was like, wow, I guess I'm pregnant and I'm five weeks pregnant right now. And I told my family and I was not sure if I wanted to be a mother. And so I think this is a really important part of the story because I don't actually talk about that a lot. I don't actually talk about like the struggle of what it was like feeling not ready. And I actually sometimes, you know, cue in about unplanned pregnancy. So that's a, that's an important part. It's like, I didn't choose the motherhood journey. The mother journey chose me. So (laughs) I think that's a nice way of saying it, that I had an unplanned pregnancy. And so I, um, I had also been struggling with something. I still had a really challenging relationship with alcohol. And so I felt that maybe if I approached my alcoholism from this lens of, well, sometimes you can't really clear an addiction without having like a supporting habit, right? So I was thinking maybe what if I could approach my alcoholism with microdosing psilocybin mushrooms and see what that does and see if I could possibly 
replace my desire to drink and to be in spaces where I wanted to drink alcohol and microdose instead and see how that kind of shifted. Because in the end of the day, like me wanting to drink was to gain a particular outcome, more comfortable in my skin, less nervous, social lubricant, like, you know, being actually wanting to be here. And the mushroom got me to sit down and evaluate those things from a different perspective. The alcohol was a way to kind of get through and get by, whereas the mushroom could amplify and allow me to ask myself, do I actually want to be here with these people doing this thing? And that was something that alcohol wasn't affording me the reflective action. And so it actually changed who I wanted to spend time with, what I wanted to be doing and what I wanted to feel. Did I want to feel like I could just like kind of shut down my central nervous system and become super numb because that was me being addicted to morphine at 13 was just numbing out. And so numbing was like a coping mechanism for me. Actually going into feelings was like kind of hard for me. And so the mushroom was like, actually it's okay to feel and it's okay to let those feelings express themselves all the way. Pain is actually quite beautiful if you allow pain to live somewhere. And what's on the other side of pain can be laughter or pleasure or more tears, but on the other side of that, there's a release. And so when I was maybe at about two months pregnant, I went to go see the abuela and I had the question of, is psilocybin mushrooms safe for pregnancy? That was like my question. And gratefully, I had access to an elder who was part of a community where mushrooms were so deeply ingrained that she had an answer for me, which was, we all have known the mushroom from a very young age and that most of us begin at three years old and some of us even before that because our mothers eat the mushroom while they're pregnant with us. My abuela had eaten the mushroom while she was pregnant too. And so that kind of, in a way, gave me the sense of permission, the sense of, I've met her children actually, and they're wonderful people. And she's a wonderful person. And I love the life that she's living and maybe I can trust her. And so she actually dosed me my first dose as a pregnant person. And I said, well, an indigenous elder woman has served me medicine and I feel safe in my body and my baby feels safe and the pregnancy is continuing at a normal rate. So then my thought around maybe microdosing instead of alcohol could, could potentially hold water. And so after that, I started my mission. I was like, I'm going to microdose every time I want to drink alcohol instead. So it wasn't on a specific regimen. It was as needed. And so that as needed, as I said, really changed the landscape and environment for me that I actually didn't know that was it me an issue with alcohol or was I always hanging out in communities that centered alcohol? That was part of my problem was that the communities that I was in a, a part of that was their primary focus. And that was the medicine of choice in their community. And so 
I actually kind of, as a pregnant person, began to transition more fully into communities where psilocybin actually felt safe to be in and to be with. So maybe spending less time with others, but then spending time in more intentional settings, like gathering around a sacred fire or building a fire for myself and sitting by myself outside, or like maybe joining with a sister under the new moon or the full moon. And like, trust me, I'd already done this stuff, but I thought it was just something I did outside of my regular life. It was like, oh, I just do this like on the weekend, but it became so central. It was like, wait, if I'm going to sit with mushrooms, like I need to listen to what they're telling me I need to be doing. And this is like where they want me to be. So I'm going to just actually make and bring that from the tertiary to the center and actually center mushrooms and not center alcohol and not center caffeine and not center nicotine, which is the primary right now. We centered those things. And so how could I community build and build my life around mushroom instead of like, I'm someone who I pull mushroom into my life and I just eat the mushroom. Instead, I followed the mushroom to where the mushroom wanted to be. And that was in these other spaces. And so the entirety of the pregnancy was kind of like learning how to tailor and augment my life to be more like comfortable for mushrooms to be in. And for me to be on mushrooms in. And so by six months time, you know, I'm talking to my midwives about my use and my midwife was actually kind of okay with that and was also a very cannabis positive midwife. And she said some very important things to me and was like, if you're going to treat nausea with cannabis, why don't you try eating cannabis instead of smoking cannabis? Because smoking cannabis will disrupt oxygen flow to your placenta and that's smoking anything. So maybe try edibles instead. And so I actually kind of got back into edibles, even though they scared me to death, but I learned how to take edibles in a good way because I started microdosing cannabis and microdosing cannabis was also very helpful for me. And I went on this journey and by six months, I think I felt ready to take a full dose because I hadn't taken a full dose yet. And I told myself I wanted to sit with three grams of mushrooms when I was six months. And I did that. And after sitting with three grams of medicine while I was six months old, or my son was six months in my belly, I realized what an important initiation this is. And what a valuable insight I now have. See, because I was deathly afraid of losing my son in utero. And I was deathly afraid of losing him during childbirth and early in life. I think that's something that comes up maybe around the second or the third trimester is I've actually built a relationship with this child. And if I miscarried at this time, it would be so devastating. And I was dealing with feelings of, what if I lose my child or have a miscarriage? Because that's actually just as common as birth. I think it's also like very self-righteous to think that every conception and every pregnancy is going to end in a live birth because that's just not the case. Miscarriage is very common and it's actually pretty central and can be seen as a beautiful thing. And so I was dealing with these serious fears. And I actually came to the mushroom asking about what to do about that. And was like, 
I want to explore these feelings in a safe way. And I had a really powerful experience on the mushroom facing the idea or the concept of my son having literally died in my stomach. And it's kind of a long story and I'll save it. I've told it a few different times, but essentially my, my doula was in the mushroom sit with me and asked me to get into a tub with her while we're on the mushroom and led me through labor exercises, which did not produce a live birth, did not produce anything because I wasn't ready to give birth. She was playing out some doula things as well. And after I didn't have a birth, which wasn't going to happen anyway, you know, she had exclaimed in her experience, oh my God, I think I killed your baby. I killed your baby. I killed your baby like over and over again. And she had no idea that like, this is the one thing that I was deathly afraid of. And this is honestly why I really love group ceremonies with people that you really trust and love because they are actually playing the drama of sometimes your deepest inner fears and you get to face them in a way that neurologically your brain does not even know the difference, but can have the emotional training and the emotional relief of having experienced something that you don't actually have to physically experience. And so I was faced with the opportunity of what to do, knowing or believing for even those few hours, my baby is dead inside of me. And, you know, this is not an easy conversation and this is not simple in any way. And it's not clean and it's not polite and it's messy, but it had a profound impact on the way that I even felt about what was the possibility of miscarrying. And so what I ended up doing was I laid in the bathtub for hours and I mourned and I cried and I forgave her and I forgave myself. And I literally had the washing away of all the emotional charge that was attached to me having this fear. And I walked out of the tub knowing my baby was alive and knowing that I didn't have to walk into my birth feeling afraid or feeling anxious that this thing might happen because I had already resolved it before I got into the birth room. And that is a possibility. And that is a gift that I think any mother who is expecting should be afforded to face their deepest fear going into the birth space that they don't have to deal with while they're giving birth. While a mother is giving birth, they should only focus on that thing, which is the journey, which is the journey and the experience of being in a body that's alive and is mammalian. And so if they're able to deal with the emotional and intellectual and even physical trauma that they have dealing, that they deal with on the day-to-day leading up to the birth experience, I would suspect that there are going to be and could be much better birth outcomes that could potentiate less birth trauma, less postpartum depression and better outcomes for early childhood. So that's why I advocate for the righteous use of entheogens during pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, postpartum, because I just was, I was afforded so much grace by the mushroom while I was pregnant. When I did that deep dive that I cannot 
do anything but thank her for what she gave me, which was to face my deepest fear before going into and carrying it into my birth. Wow. And I connect with that experience so much. Um, Not the entire story, which is a beautiful one, by the way, one that I feel like most people do need to hear. Like you said, it's, it's messy, but it needs to be heard. You know, these are stories that have to be told because we're literally scared to give birth at this day and age. And, Mm -hmm. and to know that it makes it a much more powerful experience. I want to say it Mm -hmm. makes you more connected. And that's one thing that I noticed um, in my experiences that I felt more connected to my daughter. And I also Mm -hmm. connected with the idea that even if she was gone and I experienced this loss, that it was still going to be okay. That everything happened for a reason, Um, but I knew somewhere along the way that that wasn't going to happen, that that greatest fear was going to help me face actually giving birth to her. So Mm -hmm. they need to hear these stories. Thank you for allowing me to share it. And also thank you for sharing even a small bit of your story too, because this, this dance with death and pregnancy and birth right? We call it like the Omateo, like the back-to-back of the dual systems, like the world and the duality of the world are facing back-to-back and everything in between them, you know, from the front of them to the front of the other is what encompasses all the world. And Mama Ayana E says every time a birth happens, like death runs around the table nine times because it's like, you're in a portal, you're in a portal. And we should be feeling supported in that portal and we should be feeling that we are equipped emotionally for what happens during that portal. And a lot of times birth doesn't turn out the way that we think that it's going to. And you don't necessarily need to take the mushroom while you're pregnant in order to face those things and be ready. But I certainly think, and I've come to know that in a postpartum state, that a sense of reflection and a sense of processing that experience, because the birth room is a psychedelic realm in itself. And so, you know, processing the quote unquote, a bad birth trip, you know, is also really important and a piece of integration that when unmet, can completely develop into what people call postpartum depression. And so, you know, mushrooms, it's not too late. If you don't dose while you're pregnant, I also have women that are like, oh, I had a relationship with medicine, but I got pregnant. And so I stopped. But now that I'm reading all this stuff, I feel like I missed out because I didn't have mushrooms while I was pregnant because I was too scared. And I'm like, hey, that's okay. Cause your pregnancy, you were still co-creating with God. Like it doesn't even, you didn't need it at that yes. time, but you can know that it would have been okay. And that is never too late to process. You're not, oh, my trauma was so long ago. Like I can't revisit it. And it's like, nah, you can. It's and there the grand- for you. It's there for you. It's, and it's honestly who you've become. So dealing with who you are now is actually processing that, that happened and addressing those things. So um, I'm grateful that in the same conversation that we can talk about birth, that we can talk about death. And the mushrooms are 
such a carrier and such a transmuter of death and the fear of it. And I think that the same amount of peace that we can come to when we are pregnant facing the birth scene is the same amount of peace that people are experiencing facing death and taking mushrooms at end of life that is now transforming the way that they walk through death's doors. You know what I mean? So it's like the same thing, like the birth of a life into this world is like the death of another being from another world coming here. So they are very much similar and, you know, preparing for birth is also preparing for death. And all of these little journeys that we take are getting more and more comfortable is us getting more and more comfortable with what the big contraction and that big transition is into the next form, into the next life. So um, the ancient Egyptians were right. The comedic folks were right that it's like death and the afterlife are something to really pay attention to. And that's literally why they made the land of the underworld, a hieroglyph of the mushroom, because the mushroom really teaches us how to navigate these realms and navigate the realms of the emotions and the unconscious and the unconscious material that we all have. Well, thank you, Michaela, for sharing this incredible wisdom with us today. And one thing I do mm-hmm. want to say is I know that there will be many people who are going to come to you for your wisdom. I'm sure you already know this very soon with it going mainstream right now. I'll just leave it at the mainstream part, but they're going to water this down. All this information you're spitting right now is going to be watered down and they're not ready for it, but they need to hear it. So my hope is that the people who do find you, that they want to know more. They want to know more beyond the basic information they're going to ask you about the safety and about parenting, because it goes so much deeper than that. So again, that that's my, that's my hope that even though it will draw a particular audience, that there will be those that will want to seek deeper knowledge into all of this and connecting with that process of death and rebirth and that constant process that's going to happen to all of us over and over again until it's time to transition like you said so Mm. (laughs) and that's what's so beautiful about platforms that you are you know like what you are creating is that yeah maybe there's going to be a mainstream conversation always happening on the surface and that's totally fine And yet there are places where we could be truly real with what we've come to learn from these medicines and that there are platforms for which if people feel the call, the like the breadcrumbs are leading them into like the dark amenta and to like learn a little bit more that there is a body of knowledge that has been created by us for us to cradle people as they walk through these realms. it's so largely important what you're doing. And it's so largely important to be open to, you know, this depth of whatever it is that we've come to know. And this is just scratching the surface. I mean, look at people like Darren LeBaron and Baba and Mama Ayana, and like, they are our elders in this space. And like, we're just kids in the playground right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, and they, they were scratching surfaces and we're scratching the surfaces of what they knew. So it just, the rabbit hole goes so deep. And what's so beautiful about it is that there's liberation for every person within this. There's liberation for every single human being and every plant and every animal and all the living beings on earth. And so, you know, to just pigeonhole this movement into a consumption situation 
it really misses the point that the point of this all is at the end of the day that we are a unified front that we are a liberation front here to like unlock the codes of living heaven on earth period and we deserve to tip the scales and we deserve to undo the spells of disconnection that we've been living in for so long so thank you for being a key Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of it. And um, really is my honor to serve you in any way. So yeah, holler at me, you know, all the listeners like holler at me. I do my best to get to all of the DMs and like connect with people with education. And so I just am really looking forward to, yeah, receiving your audience and, and being in good relationships with you. Thank you. And I will include all of Michaela's information in the show notes and offerings that she gives. And she gives so much information about womb care and taking back your power. So make sure you all check it out. So until Mm -hmm. next time, this is the Tailored Healing Collective podcast. Until next time, let love lead the way. Peace. I create with intention a new dimension.